Hi, and welcome to This Week in Sustainability on the SustainableCentury.net. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. A lot happened this week, so let's get right at it. Let's start with some good news, because you know the bad is coming. Now, last week, there were lots of stories making the rounds in the mainstream news of how governments were committed to a green recovery from the pestilence of COVID-19. Now, the European Union has a plan to put a green twist on $1.85 trillion in post-pandemic economic recovery. Uh, The headline in Sustainable Brands, a leading business and brand sustainability media company, declared Canada, the EU, they attach sustainable strings to the COVID recovery plans. Well, I got excited. (laughs) I got excited by that headline and then depressed by the details. In Canada, companies with annual revenues of 300 million or more, and those are not small companies, if they want financial help, they're gonna have to commit to publishing annual climate-related disclosure reports, including how their future operations will support environmental sustainability and national climate goals in Canada. That's great, right? Especially the part about supporting national climate goals, you know, but the problem is it's all voluntary. And sure, increased reporting transparency is absolutely key. It's fundamental to improving climate performance. Uh, So why not condition support on the desired impact, like meeting specific carbon reduction goals? Well, the Europeans, the Europeans, well, they get it and they are thinking big. Their next generation EU plan, it's a proposed plan, it's a seven year plan, $1.1 trillion in the budget. Uh, And they say, we may be reaching several alarming tipping points, um, facing excessive air pollution, water stress, biodiversity loss that undermines our ecosystems while progress towards a circular uh, economy remains disjointed and inconsistent. Ecological destruction on this scale threatens human civilization. I pause for effect. Yeah, yep, yeah, we know all that. And the wise amongst us are scared shitless, believe me. To get Euro funds, companies are gonna have to positively contribute to at least one of six environmental goals. Climate change uh, mitigation, climate change adaptation, protection of water and marine resources, transitions to a circular economy, pollution protection, and protection and restoration of biodiversity, all real important. Uh, Now they have to contribute to at least one of those and do no damage to the other five. Given we humans use around five times the natural resources uh, that nature replaces each year, and God bless the Euros, uh, but, but this feels a little like just shooting off five of four of your toes to save just one. Yeah, and the Organization of Economic Development Countries, uh, they project the need of $6 trillion by 2030 to fix climate change alone. We're not talking about biodiversity even. Europe's $1 trillion is a promising start. Now add this to its uh, talk of eliminating VAT, that's the value-added tax for electric vehicles, which accounts for about 20% of a car's price on the continent. That's pretty good. Now they're thinking of investing another 100 billion or so in electrical vehicle infrastructure, charging stations and the like. Uh, 
Now, they also have the EU Biodiversity Strategy for 230, 2030. Rather. Uh, it was released this week, and uh, it wants to improve biodiversity, the quality of food, and it's going to invest about $100 billion of investments in agriculture and food production. This is fantastic. The program's going to address climate change, forest fires, food insecurity, disease outbreaks all that nasty stuff, uh, by, among other initiatives, protecting wildlife and fighting illegal wildlife trade. Uh, kudos to the EU. And this, really, this is what leadership is all about. Oh, yeah, and we should give a shout-out to South Korea and Japan and a bunch of other countries who are all trying to do something with their COVID fiscal expenditures to help out environmental conditions, albeit with a lot smaller amounts. But will any of these initiatives be large enough or fast enough to offset uh, coming environmental disasters? Maybe, but we need more than just a handful of countries and companies going at it. The Canadians, Indians, Chinese, Brazilians, and Mexicans, if they don't similarly buck up and help successfully reversing our environmental course, success, doubtful. And the United States. The United States. Well, the Trump administration is doing its very, very best to derail any sane environmental action at the national and international level. They're trying to open up more national parks to fossil fuel and mineral extractions. They're scrambling madly, madly to revoke every environmental safeguard and regulation that they can. This toxic mix of denial, corruption, graft, and greed undergirding the regulatory destruction, well, it's gonna go on until November, at the very least. Let's face it. Trump has had six failed businesses, one in, in casinos, where the house literally always wins. Now, I'm not sure what uh, Joseph Schumpeter meant when he coined the term creative destruction or the inevitable and necessary accumulation and annihilation of wealth under capitalism. Let's not lend Mr. Trump's brand of destructive talent to these irreplaceable national natural assets, shall we? I mean, if there was ever, ever a time for the world, the whole world, to hold its collective breath and pray for America, it is now. You know what to do. November 3rd, enough said. Eh, doesn't all this good news, bad news just make you kind of manic? I know it makes me manic. And I'm not sure hope is a good thing, or is it just denial of all the terrible things we do to each other in the world? Uh, how long can we accept continuous disappointment without losing sight of the fact hope springs eternal? And if we're lucky, determined, firm, and civil actions can move mountains and change this world for the better. I will say this. This week in sustainability, I was on the positive side of the ledger for a change. Now, we, uh, that, that is the Sustainable Century, well, we hosted an event called Leading Transformations. Uh, it's a discussion salon where younger doers and thinkers and leaders uh, of the sustainability movement discussed their vision and held forth their voice. Uh, you can check that out at the sustainablecentury.net. Uh, we've got some good videos on that. Uh, and among the many insightful observations they made, made by these optimistic and crazy talented young folks, was one more prophetic than others. And, one, and it was made by one of the most thoughtful, sustainable journalists I know, Oliver Blatch. Um, Post-COVID, uh, gosh, um, 
I'm I, I'm trying not. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm trying not to be too overconfident because there's so much talk in our space about this being, you know, the transition point and the the the, the ugly, regrettably ugly and painful um, sh- shift 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 that we need. Um, you know, proof that we've always been saying we've got to get the planes out of the air and suddenly someone's taking them out of the air is doable. You know, we believe it can be done. But I remember thinking the same after the financial crash. Uh, I was living in South America at the time and I remember going back to London thinking, oh, this this kind of expectation that we have of what normal is and what we, what we how the system should work and what we deserve, surely that will be ended. The, the, the kind of conceit of the five-year plan will be destroyed. My friends will be reflecting on their lives and the insecurity of it and thinking existential thoughts, nothing. You know, as soon as they're back on their feet, back in their jobs, it went back to, to, to business as usual. And so I, you know, I'd love to see this being the transition moment that we were all hopeful, but I'm a bit fearful that when we get you know, back into work, um, nothing will change. Sure, my Twitter feed is full of hope and some evidence of inertia in some of the places and among some of the people, the right people, that is, towards a green recovery. But uh, I, I agree it's at least highly debatable if we can hold out hope for anything close to planetary sustainability uh, when humans are actually involved. And it's not just because of all the sunburnt beach and bar yahoos flaunting pandemic protocols in the United States that makes me cynical. Because, oh, what I wouldn't do for a burger, a beer, and a bar, and a football game. The, the real football, you know, the, the one with the round ball. They're just a bunch of yahoos claiming God will protect them. Irrelevant types, really, uh, getting disproportionate shares of mainstream media. If the gods were actually watching out over them, I suspect it's a wrath and vengeance story. The kind that uh, those actually familiar with the history of godly intentions know more about than I do. Something about plagues sent to test us before the lights come shining down on the good who walk amongst us. Now me, me, I refuse to be infected by the confirmation virus infecting my Twitter feed evidence only, please. Evidence only, please. And besides, it's not about the nasties, the locusts, anyhow. Almost as always, it's about those good people who let bad things happen for lack of speaking out, lack of action on their very own convictions. Yeah, I said it. I said it because... Most of the silent majority is good. It's not bad. Uh, they're good just up they're just up to their elbows trying to get by, trying to survive this overheated world. Now most folks most folks most are simply not up to the seismic change that needs to happen to avoid the climate and biodiversity loss curves that are hurling towards us. I will say this, it's not all of them. Yes. Uh, they They have a civic responsibility to weigh in on important matters that shape society. Like what happened recently uh, this week in St. Paul to Mr. Uh, George Floyd. It It was a tragedy and their silence is a disgrace. It's shameful. It's complicit thuggery. Yet on sustainability, I get it. Most folks just can't get, can't get there on their own despite the confirmation bias of my Twitter feed and what it tells me, and the heroes in the EU and their green plans and investments. Now, if if you read non-sustainability news, Twitter feeds, or, or non-sustainability-minded social media, you know it captures the vast majority of all human attention. 
And of that, maybe 10%, 10% relates to economics, and of that, maybe 2% of the people pay attention to. And to that, 99%, well, it's all about getting back to normal, rebounding prices in real estate, natural gas, oil demand, stock market, all that stuff. Bloomberg, the New York Times, CNN, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, and even the Guardian, for goodness sakes, bow explicitly and implicitly to the corporate agenda. Now, whenever a sustainability proclamation is made, oh, bow down to the corporate gods. Take BlackRock, for example. It's a $7 trillion asset manager, which has proudly proclaimed three years running, it has great sustainability intentions and bona fides. Well, you can check out a few articles I've written on BlackRock at the sustainablecentury.net tracking their most gaseous proclamations. Says Peter Sikora of the New York Communities for Change, BlackRock's big talk on climate change is a lot of hot air. It's hard to disagree, Pete. According to BlackRockProblems.com, BlackRockBigProblems.com, uh, BlackRock has a lot of fancy sustainability words, and despite those words, it bought bonds in Keystone's XL pipeline construction. It holds 2.5 billion of stocks and bonds in companies drilling in the Western Amazon. Can you imagine? And it holds stocks in commercial ag around the world, contributing to horrible climate emissions, deforestation, land grabbing, human rights violations, public health concerns around agrochemical inputs, the list goes on. And when you have a list that long and that bad, you gotta wonder from what part of Black Rock's anatomy its sustainability words are being expelled. You know, a kindergarten kid could do better at sustainability than Black Rock. But most incredibly, most incredibly, BlackRock continues to invest in coal. Now, I know BlackRock is an easy, easy target. It's a big target. You can point your finger at that target. And I remain stupidly hopeful, like some abused dog, that BlackRock's CEO, Larry Fink, actually believes what he says and will soon prove it. Now, BlackRock, like most big companies, they got a lot of smart people working there. They really do. And they kind of get and they do understand what it what it would take to become sustainable. And that's why they're not doing it. Uh, something has to give. And that's called the status quo. And, and what is that? It's not an urethral concept, my friends. Larry Fink makes like, what, $27 million a year. That's incredible. That's right. That's 1,550 Walmart cashiers' salaries on an annual basis. Larry, the tundra is thawing. The tundra is thawing now, not in 70 years as we previously thought. So while Larry et al., and I include almost all enlightened companies in this statement, may understand the need for a more sustainable economy, uh, Maybe, just maybe, they don't get the urgency because their leaders make 1,550 cashiers' salary. And who wants to give that up? A regenerative economy will require sacrifice, profits, and assets, and salaries, Larry. But big companies, well, they prefer incremental change. And that's a code word. It's a code word for how to get out of this mess without a loss of profits, assets, and salaries. My view? <laughs> We need to strand a bunch of assets right, <clears throat> right now. So, so like Trump getting folks to ingest Clorox or leave off masks as some twisted form of patriotism, what you do matters, Larry. It matters. It matters a lot. 
And nothing, nothing myself and millions of activists, scientists, and policymakers quoting facts and figures, begging and pleading for over 40 years, for over 40 years, nothing has worked to change how companies do business. You, you, Larry, push the divestment button already. The world will pay attention to you. Oh, please do it. I have five free trades in my E-Trade account for you, Larry, just for you. Take them. Literally, that would be enough. At the end of the day, says Pete of the New York Communities for Change, BlackRock is putting more money into fossil fuels than any other investor. So we can plead all we want, we're just not getting anywhere, it seems. And you want to get more pissed, uh, or uh, I meant engaged? Check out www.blackrocksbigproblem.com for all the bad news. Now, still, and despite all this terrible, there was a moment this week when we learned some fun things, some good things, some positive things. We learned that 70% of Brits were yearning for measurements of welfare that left off the GDP, the gross domestic product, GDP. It, they said, is highly inaccurate and it doesn't measure what is actually good in life. Now, if this observation is not about a yearning for something different, for a better life, for measuring a better life, I'm not sure what is. Now, last week I talked about a guaranteed income as a way to lighten our loads. Uh, New Zealand Prime Minister and goddess on this earth, Jacinda Ardern, well, she suggested a four-day week as a way out of the pandemic. Imagine that, sharing work so we all have it? Now, the gods of the GDP and all their vested interests, well, they don't like that idea. But then again, neither do our exhausted egos whose relentless chant to buy, be happy, buy, be happy, buy, be happy deceives and depletes us in equal proportion. Playing the GDP's ugly song over and over and over and over and over again in our heads? Oh, it's tiring. Get it out of there. Anyways, just this Friday, Friday, one of my favorite economists, Paul Krugman, he said, never mind the GDP. Now, he was referring uh, to this in the context of COVID-19 and the recovery plans, but I think it might apply to all economics. The devil of profit and his shareholders, all of it and all of them. Uh, They are quite unconcerned with your life, with my life, our future. But we can't blame imaginary devils and demons all the time. We have to simply say enough and adjust. Uh, Financially, economically, and more importantly, uh, what we have to do is say, forget it. Take a walk in the park with the kids. Take our dogs. Take our imaginations. Do some art. Or have the time. Have the real time and be paid for caring for our elders. Our ancestors must be shaking their heads at how we treat our elders. It's a shame. And we do feel shame. We do. You know, you know, our elders deserve to be taken care of, not just dumped in some COVID killing field. I'm not trying to shame anyone. Anyone. We all do what we have to do. But we need to rethink how we live intergenerationally and get the support, the support we need so we can all live in dignity. Kids, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. And having the time to do our duty or simply take a frickin' walk in the park, well, that's surely better than being chained to a desk or productivity or production line, adding just another 0.005% to productivity so someone else can profit 0.003 more. I mean, who wants an extra day to have the luxury of time? Hands up, hands up. Everybody's got their hands up. 
Yet there it is, the GDP staring us right in the face. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Even the Guardian, bless its sustainable soul, reporting on economic contractions measured in, you guessed it, the GDP, the gross domestic product. There's only one word I like there, gross. I stare at the numbers of the GDP. When I think about it, when I think about it, it really means nothing to me about how I feel, how about my life feels, or what I want my life to be. Yet still, it makes me feel elated when it goes up, depressed when it goes down. It also makes me feel helpless every day, like I can't control my own destiny. Worse, somehow the GDP makes me feel that the only way I can be happy, safe, and secure is if, is if I was adding to it, pumping it up, making it go up so we can all breathe easy by buying more crap. Starting now, starting now, I refuse to do it. I will never succumb again to that terrible feeling, the false sinking feeling. I refuse the gloom when it goes down. I refuse the elation when it ticks up. And I will tell myself repeatedly, it will be my new mantra. It is ridiculously irrelevant to life on this planet. I will treat it as the press should treat all Trump tweets. Benign tumors, lying nonsense. I will not analyze it, obsess over it. I will not breathe life into its fire. Let's just not do it anymore, the GDP. And like moldy boxes full of repulsive, outdated, bloated, ratty papers and garbage in the basement, let's just get rid of it. The Bhutanese, the Bhutanese, they have a perfect solution. It's called the Happiness Index. It measures useful things, things that make us happy. Decent housing, income, dignified work, community, civic engagement, education, Environment, health, life, satisfaction, safety, life, work, balance. Imagine that. That's the stuff that makes us happy. And there's other similar systems too. We don't have to use that one. We have choices. So let's just tell the GDP to right off, okay? Put it out. Let's put that fire out. You want a green recovery? If we want it, we have to actually know what it means, what we want. And it doesn't just mean glowing GDP. Nor, ju nor just putting out the climate fire. It means, well, in my mind, it means three things. One, accepting how we define a satisfying life today is a danger to our very survival. It means defining success as a species, not as an expression of the GDP, but as measures of the regrowth of the Amazon, of the Congo, of all the forests, of the clarity of our water, the wholesomeness of our food, the sanity of how we organize our cities, choosing to support decent, meaningful livelihoods for all. Two, because time is so terribly short before irrevocable damage to the environment, only the stuff of transformation will do. If change doesn't move faster, environmental activism is gonna step past nonviolent. And the transportation that we, the transformation that we need will be forced by or squashed by violence. Three, the real culprit, the real enemy, I hate to say it, it's us. Our overconsumption. This is driving biodiversity loss, which is in a crisis of equal and dire proportion as climate. Our meeting transformation salon talked about the issue of behavioral incentives for change, what it, what's going to take to make things change, asking the question, how can we really incentivize personal change in voting, consumer habits, and investment habits uh, to reduce consumption and institute sane, sustainably-minded economic policies and systems? The answer, 
sadly, self-interest and cost or price. Uh, if you want to hear more about that discussion, check out thesustainablecentury.net or send a, a request for information to info at thesustainablecentury.net uh, and ask about the leading transformation video highlights. They're coming out soon. Well, my head's hurting. It's time for the weekend. So I want to leave you with a really cool and happy story. It was reported in the Canadian Broadcasting Company out of Canada, of course, this week, where actor, artist, model, and all-around very, very cool person, Milan Nakato, uh, decided to take her family off-grid to live in the bush in the Northwest Territories. Now, for the geographically challenged, and no, I didn't say Americans, the Northwest Territories are like very, very, very far north in Canada, like so far north you can't imagine. It's where caribou outnumber the people by a truly healthy number. Anyways, Mala uh, had had enough of the white guy's pandemic and got off the grid for over a month, well, five weeks, actually. Imagine what that could do for you. Think of the things that you would learn. Think of the things you would unlearn. That's crazy. Mothers are so incredible, aren't they? They do the right things. Now, and if I was Prime Minister of Canada, I tell you what, I'd give the First Nations people anything they ask for. Well, that's it for this week in sustainability. If you're not signed up for our weekly content updates, you can do it at thesustainablecentury.net. Love to hear from you. So leave a comment, hit like, or better yet, pass the article, pod, or video along. And if you haven't already checked out our new video by our young producer-director, Mateos D'Souza Shields, on why you should garden and not just in times of the coronavirus, you should check it out. Uh, you should check it out on our website and also check out the upcoming series, uh, Leading Transformation, uh, which features salon discussions of young sustainability leaders and doers. Again, more for, in, for more information, uh, just check out the sustainablecentury.net. Now, thanks for listening. And remember, it's up to you, it's up to us to make this a happier, healthier, more sustainable world.